a lot is people niche for the sake of niching or they like yes. invent these random niches where they're like, I'm for like, this is my, I'm a coach for heart-centered unicorns. Oh my gosh. And you're like, okay, cool. But like, is your ideal client going to hear the words heart-centered unicorns and say, yeah, that's me. This is made for me. Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Steph Taylor. For years, I read all the books, downloaded all the freebies and did all the courses. But it wasn't until I started taking Imperfect Action that my business had its first million dollar year. Imperfect Action is about doing things before you're ready, prioritizing consistent action over perfect action, and moving forward, even when you're not sure you're doing it right. On this show, you can expect mindset advice, actionable marketing tips, and strategies to build a business that brings you more profit, more freedom, and even more joy. Are you on the list to get my daily biz boosters? Every day, I'll send you a bite-sized prompt designed to help you grow your business in a more intentional way. Sign up at stephtaylor.co forward slash DBB or at the link in the show notes. Hey, welcome back to Imperfect Action. This is episode 610. Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know those answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn-related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit, it does sound too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for Startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. Today's episode is a chat that I had recently with my biz bestie and my real life bestie, Anita Seek from Brand Fetty. And we actually recorded this episode originally for her podcast, But the chat ended up being so good that I couldn't not share it to this show. And in the episode, we chatted a little bit about where we think the online course world is going this year. Uh, We talked about payment plans, which I have very strong opinions about. And I know a lot of people have strong opinions about payment plans. Um, And also talking about, you know, low ticket offers and where they fit into our businesses these days, if they're still relevant and what the two of us are doing in our businesses that we haven't necessarily done previously, something new that we haven't done previously. So jump on in, listen to this episode and then DM me at stephtaylor.co, DM Anita at Anita Seek on Instagram and let us know what your biggest takeaways were from this episode because I know it was such a good one. All right, let's get into the episode. Yay! I am so excited to, I don't know, re-welcome back for, I don't know, the second or third time now, one of my best friends, work wife, and dear fellow course creator as well, Steph Taylor onto Brand Fetty. Welcome! Yay! I'm so excited to be here. I think this is the second time. I feel like the first time was maybe 2020. When did you start your podcast? I feel like it would have to oh, 2019. So first one would have been 2019. Yes, I remember now. 
I remember now. It was in the co-working space meeting room, yes. that first episode that we did. And we shared yeah. one microphone. <gasps> That's right. <laughs> You've come a long way. <laughs> and you. <laughs> and I remember we had one of the rooms as well where we then, um, you got your new microphone and then we were testing it out, remember? Yes. And we were recording on your on your microphone, which, is, which we both have now as well. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow, wow. I know, I know, I know. Um, Well, first of all, before we dive into today's conversation, for those who might not know who you are, who are you? What do you do? Oh, wow. Well, I I was telling Anita before we hit record that I was really hoping she would intro me because I hate this question, but (laughs) I'm Steph Taylor. I am an online business strategist and I help you to build a business that is profitable even when you are offline. So that really means, you know, leveraging your kind of business models and offers and building out the foundations and the structure of a business that is not just reliant on you being there at your desk. And I actually did a brand strategy with Anita last year and she came up with the most killer sentence for what I do or for like why I do what I do. And essentially it's because your business shouldn't fall apart because you weren't on the tools or because you took a holiday or because you didn't post that Instagram reel. And when you wrote that sentence, Anita, I was like, that is gold. That is exactly it. So yes, I owe a lot of this to Anita. Bless. I I did not tell her to say that. (laughs) But in all... But no, in all seriousness, can we talk about that for a moment? I know Mm. today's conversation, we're going to dive deeper into, I guess, what we, both of us have online courses, both of us have digital products. We want to be talking about, I guess, where we see it going this year and any predictions that we might have. But before we get our crystal balls out, I kind of want to dive into that a little bit more, which is, I guess, this conversation about creating an online business where you can actually be offline. Mm. Um, What does that actually mean like because I think a lot of people are like yeah I can just create like a uh, an online course and it's like passive like passive income online course so can we talk a little bit about I guess what are the biggest I don't know myths you feel like people have when it comes to creating this like creating an online business that can actually go offline yeah and I think you hit the nail on the head there right like that was something that if we rewind before I even no it was actually it was just after I'd met you for the very first time I disappeared off to Europe for a couple of months that's right and I had created this one Facebook uh, this one Facebook ads course and I thought this was going to be my ticket to traveling Europe and not having to work I could fire all of my clients and I launched it and that first launch I think was around $10,000 which wasn't a huge amount of money but it was enough that I could travel around for a couple of months, but I was still working with clients and I couldn't quite see that path from this one launch to how am I going to use this launch, this course to sustain my income and be able to fire all my clients Mm. and not have to work so hard. And as a result of working with all of those clients, while I was traveling over there, you know, I was getting client emergency calls on a Sunday night. I had one client call me on a Sunday night because um, one of the Facebook ads that I was running for her didn't have a full stop in one of the sentences. Um, yeah, emergency, you? real emergency. <laughs> um, I was doing client calls at 3 a.m. because of the time wow. difference. And there was one point where I was in front of the Eiffel Tower and I pulled out my phone to reply to a client emergency email. And that was like this, huh, okay, this this wake-up call of I this is not quite the business that I want. Like I've built this business, mm. I've created this course, which is an income generating asset, 
why do I still not have that freedom? And it's been a couple of twists and turns since then, but I've managed to turn it into something where, you know, last year I took two weeks off off the grid completely to go hiking through the outback. In 2021, I took a month off to travel around Australia in a van. Um, and for me, that's why I do what I do so I can have that freedom. And yeah. also so I can help my clients and my students to create whatever kind of freedom they want in their business. So I think that's like the first myth. Um, you can't just like create one course and then that's a business. Um, you also can't yeah. just create one course and it's passive income. Like you still need to be generating sales from it. Yes. Um, and I think where <laughs> I think a huge myth that the online business space would lead us to believe is it's like the, the whole process is create the course, share content on social media, put up a Facebook ad, People and then are gonna come. That's, that's it. it. Like that's all you have to do. Yeah. But you're not seeing all of the stuff that people are doing yeah. underneath it. You're not seeing the time that they are spending, you know, putting together a business model that supports the lifestyle and the freedom that they want. You're not seeing them putting together their office suite. You're not seeing them doing their cash flow forecasting each week. You're not seeing all of these other things that aren't as sexy as social media and the, the reels and the podcasts mm-hmm. and the glamorous stuff that we see on the surface. Uh, so the, I guess that's what I'm really passionate about is showing people like how to take that pretty course and that cool content and turn that into a business. I love that because it's true. Yeah. If you want to, it, online courses are not passive. You really want passive, go buy a house. <laughs> that's passive. <laughs> that's, passive. that's not passive because you still have to, you know, if you, you can hire a property manager to manage that, but you, I, or, or you manage it yourself and in your business, yeah, you can hire a team member to run the business for you. And then it might be passive, somewhat passive, but at the end of the day, when the dishwasher breaks and the property manager replies to you and it's like, Hey, what do you want us to do? You've got to pay for the dishwasher repair, or you've got to go out there and fix it, or you've got to hire somebody to fix it. Like there's, there's always something involved. Like there's nothing that's truly, truly passive, except maybe like shares and dividends. That's probably passive. Mm, but you're saying, <laughs> sidebar, but like li- literally, so you're saying, but but it is kind of a dash of passive because like if you're literally lying here, sit, like we're both literally in our own homes right now, but like by doing nothing, like it would still inevitably like still grow in value. So it's mm. like the idea that I think that you create a course or a digital product, right, that you can just sit there and it's just going to continuously grow yeah, like, I mean, I'm with you there in terms of that is not that is not the key to that freedom. And I think it's important to continuously also refine and tweak. Um, you kind of touched on something there that I want to poke a little bit more to. You know, you pretty much said you started this digital product journey since, what, 2000? And when we first met, that was 2017. <gasps> wow. I know, six years. We were babies. I know. <laughs> we were what a, and like think back to that moment like that. So for context for our listeners, I referred some, so somebody inquired with me about copywriting and I've never been a copywriter. I was always a marketer and I had previously come across this word fetty person agency. Um, I didn't realize that was one person at that point in time. And I loved their website. I was like, oh, they have a button that says push, not pull. How clever. So I actually referred this inquiry to Anita without having ever met her. And then Anita being the incredible human that she is was like, hey, let's catch up for coffee. Turns out that my um, co-working space was like just down the road from her corporate job and we had coffee 
Yeah. And we were babies. And like to think about, you know, if we had told the, the two of us back then what the next six years was going to look like business wise, man, <laughs> I would have probably cried. I what, what, what would you say? What would you say? What would you say? Strap in. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even like a roller coaster, it's like a corkscrew. <laughs> yeah, basically. Oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, to kind of dive into that, like back like 2017, 2018, a lot has, you know, it's wow. What, what a journey it has been. Um, I'm curious to hear like in, what do you feel like has been perhaps one of the biggest, you know, I like to call it flirtings, uh, <laughs> failure and learnings in the realm of online courses that you have made? Mm, the biggest one. Oof. There's a few. There's a few. Um, so I think probably the biggest one was courtesy of that first Facebook ads course, my second course, which was one on Instagram marketing. And what I learned from that was you really just how important it is to have a very clear outcome, a very clear ideal customer, a very clear, you know, transformation and a very clear problem that you're solving. Both of those courses, they were great. The content in the courses were great, but the messaging that I was using in selling them was not great. You know, I was trying to speak to everybody. I wasn't, I wasn't saying, Hey, this is for service based owners or this is e commerce. I wasn't saying, you know, this is exactly what you're going to have at the end of it in tangible terms. I was like, yeah, Instagram growth, but. I wasn't painting a picture for them of what that growth would mean, what that would look like. And it's really funny now in hindsight, I'm like, this is the mistake I see so many people making currently. And if I just want to tell, like, I want to fix it for them because I've learned that one the hard way. So I think that was the biggest mistake. Um, I think the next biggest mistake was trying to build a library. So I, yes. So before I niched down, I was the generalist marketer. I had a general marketing tips podcast and a lot of people came to me for like the free marketing advice, the free marketing content. And then they would go to work with the specialists. They would come to me to learn about like Instagram marketing for free. And then they would go and work with like the Instagram marketing people. But in my mind, I was like, oh, if I can just create this library of marketing courses, then they can come and they can pick and they can choose from them as they need them. Mm. And I thought that Mm. by building like a shop of courses, that was going to create consistent income. And I didn't realize that actually, no, having a shop of courses with no real sales process behind it, no, no way of taking somebody from potentially like from slightly interested in learning about that topic to buying that course I didn't realize that that was the missing piece. And they kind of just sat there and they sat there and I ended up retiring them, niching down my business and completely pivoting. Mm. This idea of niching, niching uh, mm. is an interesting one. What are you like nowadays? I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard because, you know, when you first start off, like it's hard to know your niche or niche straight oh, yeah. away. You know, like, I mean, I put my hand up and say, like, I was just saying yes to all of the opportunities. Yeah. How did you kind of start to uncover or find your niche niche? Do we ever stick with that one niche? Like, what are your thoughts on that topic? I think we find it by figuring out what we don't like. 
<laughs> to your point, like saying yes to things and then being like, that was horrible. I never want to do that again. Um, in some cases, um, you know, in my case, it was sitting down with a business coach and being like, Hey, these are all of the courses that I want to launch next year, but I don't know what my thing is. And her being like, well, you obviously enjoy launching. You're good at it. Nobody else does. And that was like the light bulb moment for niching into launch marketing, launch strategy. Mm. Um, and then, you know, it only took, it took what, two years of me being niched into launch strategy to realize actually this is just one part of the equation. And I don't want to just teach one part of the equation anymore. Mm. I want to expand my niche. If you want to even call it that, mm. I want to, or, or it's still the same niche of people, but I want to expand my expertise, my subject matter and fill in some of those other missing pieces that I don't think people are teaching in the space. So would you, for someone who's listening and they're being like, okay, so I need to find my thing. Mm. Like, what is my thing? Like, what would you say? What would you say to them? I would say just pick anything, (laughs) pick anything and you'll figure it out. Like just take action. Honestly, like don't get too hung up on having the perfect niche because your niche might find you like it did with me. Mm. Uh, You might find that you've picked a niche and you absolutely hate it, you might start doing something and you might be like, oh, actually, this niche over here is probably going to be better or this niche that I've picked, people don't want to spend money. So you'll, yeah. you'll learn it. You'll figure it out as you go. I don't think it's one of those things you can figure out just by sitting there planning, brainstorming. What's your take on this? Because I know obviously you do this quite a lot in your brand strategies with your clients, like, what do you say to somebody who comes to you? And I know this is like me interviewing you now, but like, what do no, you no, say no. to somebody who no, comes to you? And they're like, yep. they're like, Anita, yep. I want to start a business. I'm a, I don't know, I'm a coach, but I don't know what my niche is. What do you yeah. say to them? So, I mean, to expand on, to echo in what you said, um, I, I don't believe, I think it's a flaw to say you've got to like find and now your niche or niche straight away. It's very hard because you cannot actually zero in on that until you actually do realize and can crystallize that that is in fact what it is that you want to play in. I also think that there is a bit of a um, misconception about what this idea of a niche and what that actually means. (laughs) I think this idea of actually finding that thing, I think it's also less about, for example, a category and our brains love categories because it just completely like bypasses and uh, makes decision-making easier and stereotyping. But when it comes to actually niching, it's actually more about characteristics usually as opposed to that's what I usually would mention and say. It's more about characteristics. For example, the people that you work with are probably people who are wanting to uh, create something that is not trading time for money. They're probably people who are wanting to really um, create something or maybe uh, monetize on what's in their brain. Like there's probably key characteristics related to, I guess, the people that you serve. And that really is the niche. And they could be anyone. They could be a nurse. They could be like, uh, a dog coach, they could be a business coach, but really that's what underpins them all. Mm, you know? Okay. So my hot take on this though, is that is niching by person. That's niching by who your ideal client is, right? Yeah. But you can niche yeah. by problem. Totally. So, you yes. know, you can niche by problem. Yes. You can yes. niche yes. by your solution. Like there's so many other ways you can niche other yes. than just by the person. And I think also another mistake that I've noticed a lot is people niche for the sake of niching. 
or they like yes. invent these random niches where they're like, I'm for like, this is my, I'm a coach for heart centered unicorns. Who, oh my gosh. And you're like, okay, cool. But like, is your ideal client going to hear the words heart centered unicorns and say, yeah, that's me. This is made for me. Like, Yes. (laughs) Let's be honest. Oh my gosh. Yes. I love how you mentioned that because yeah, the amount of times, I don't know, or they're so long, like the description (laughs) is so long. It's almost like. Or they're so broad. (laughs) Manisha's business owners. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Women founders. (laughs) Totally. Ah, so good. Now, okay, let's cast the net now um, to, I guess, having a bit of a, you know, ping pong chat about, I guess, both of us are online course creators, both have digital products. Um, we both have in a way, actually, now I come to think of it, there's off the shelf digital products, which I know you have as well. You've also got a live course. We always joke about the fact that we kind of half launch around the same time, yeah. but there's usually like I go first and then you go first <laughs> or like there's, there's never a big overlap. <laughs> it's like last we- year, I think last September I went first. Yes. I mean, I think you've been going first. <laughs> I love how I say that. We sync our launch cycles, guys. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, we both have live courses. We both have evergreen um, elements. Okay. We're stepping into 2023. We have just written a really like epic roller coaster of online course boom in 2020. Um, where do you feel like it's going this year like people are feeling a bit course fatigued there's a lot of courses are they feeling course fatigued I mean I'm of the view the fact that yes people are still spending and I think I'm of the view that people if you it's not in what you're necessarily saying but it's in how you're actually selling and massaging the messaging because I'm a word nerd but I'm keen to hear where you feel like the prediction wise the online course world is going this year so I mean this is this is this could be completely wrong, but I have a feeling that we're going to see people buying fewer of the like $47 things that they see off an Instagram ad and I can see them investing more time but more in, uh, more more money, sorry, but more intentionally into slightly meatier or slightly action more action oriented courses, ones that where they've actually got skin in the game and they take action rather than just collecting all of these $50 resources that they never touch. Uh, I think that's one big shift we're going to see this year. Uh, we've all seen, you know, like the, we kind of are wising up to the fact that the $50 course is not going to change your life. It's not going to change your business. But I think about, you know, some of the $2,000 courses that I've invested in and they have changed my life. They have changed my business. So I think people are wising up to that. Um, and I think they hope, I hope they're going to get more intentional about where they are spending their time and where, who they are listening to and mm. learning to be a little bit more discerning about what kind of, um, I guess what kind of marketing they're consuming, what kind of content they're consuming from people and who they're consuming it from. Um, Do you feel like those lower dollar offers are still great lead generators? Cause that's ultimately what they were created like to result in to literally get people to pay an, a lower dollar figure so that they do in a way kind of show up so that they can get a bit of a feel for it and then eventually buy into something. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, so I used to have a $27 product for this very reason. And actually when I was chatting with a sales coach about this and we were 
sort of looking at what the, and this was a couple of years ago now, like looking at what that next level of my business was going to look like. She said to me, she's like, Steph, the people who are buying a $27 product are not the people who are buying a 2000, your $2,000 course. Mm. And she said, the people who are buying that $27 product, they're buying it. They're putting it on the shelf. They're mm. not taking action on it. And then when they see you opening doors for your $2,000 course, it's a reminder for them that they haven't done your $27 product yet. Or they haven't, you know, they've done the $27 product and they thought it was going to change their lives, but because it's only $27, it didn't. And it leaves them with a little bit of a like, oh, I'm not going to sign up for this other course until I finish this one, until I get the results from this one. So that was the reasoning behind why I retired it. It also, um, when Facebook ads became a bit more expensive, you know, circa 2021, um, that stopped being so we were running that as a lead gen absolutely and it was breaking even so the amount that we were spending on facebook ads was equaling the amount that we were making in sales so it was a lead gen it wasn't a profit generator it was a lead generator but when facebook ads got more expensive it actually started costing us more to get people in to buy that yeah so i figured you know what let's actually let's follow the sales coach's advice let's cut it and just go with um, running ads to normal lead magnets again. Um, yeah, I'm I, I'm curious about your experience, like because I know you've got your membership. Do you have any other lower ticket offers? Yeah, so there's the we've got the caption formula workshop, oh, um, but that's not that, super low ticket. It's sixty seven. Okay, sixty seven. Uh, it's not the lowest lowest, um, but it's attainable, I guess. Yeah. Um, I mean, I am actually thinking of increasing the price for it though, because it is air peg value. Um, but I guess that then goes into usually Caption Betty, mm-hmm. which is the evergreen um, membership when it comes to content. Um, so there's that. Our other lower dollar uh, ones are like copywriting templates. Oh, of course. Yes, I forgot uh, about that. So we've got copywriting templates, um, our workshop copywriting templates, which is interesting. I think I usually find people who join courses end up buying the templates instead of mm. it's more of a skew towards that instead of the other way um, around. I do find, though, that people who are in Caption Formula Workshop and Caption Fetty end up joining Um Word for your words, which is our signature course. And I guess that was intentional as well because they both go hand in hand. Content is about visibility. Word for your words is about conversions and sales mm. and psychology. So really you need visibility. You've got the visibility, but then you need to be able to convert them and vice versa. If you've got sales, you still need to be visible. So they do go hand in hand in that regard. But it's, it's interesting because we – do yeah ads are very expensive we are finding ads are getting more expensive and of course there's always as online course creators we are always looking for ways to well how can we grow the list how can we grow the right getting the right people on the list not just growing the list so what what, how are you what, what are you playing with and testing this year in terms of growing your email list yeah um i mean facebook ads we've I've got one lead magnet that consistently produces leads at like $2 a lead. So I know, I know. So keeping that one, um, probably going to be experimenting with a new evergreen funnel. I don't know if it's going to be a profit maker or if it might just come out in the wash as a lead gen. Um, that, so I'm going to experiment with that one. And 
I mean, look, I'm actually going for a slightly opposite approach this year to last year. Like in the past, I've always been like, how can I get as many people into my business so I can get as many people into Launch Magic, which up until now has always been my signature course. It's been the like most expensive course that I have, the most expensive offer that I have. Um, And that's always been, you know, and, and that's been my biggest offer. So it's been like, how can I get more people into that? But now for the first time ever, I'm actually doing a 12-month program where, you know, if I can get like 20 people every six months into that um, or, you know, 40 people a year, that works out super profitable and I'm not constantly trying to get new people in. And I know that I have enough people who've been through Launch Magic who they're waiting, they're sitting there waiting for me to give them something next. Yes. Yes. So it's actually this year's been, this year's more like how can I re-engage those past students or at least the mm-hmm. first part of this year is. Um, I think something we're going to start looking into is publicity a bit more in media, mm-hmm. um, getting a bit more proactive with podcast pitches. Like I'm really lucky in that I get a lot of people wanting me to be on their podcasts. I haven't had and to. you're awesome. Have- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't had to go out and do a huge amount of pitching. Um but there's definitely, you know, potential there to get on other people's podcasts. And yes. for me, if like getting on somebody's podcast is great because I almost always send them back to listen to my podcast. And if somebody listens to my podcast, they're probably going to sign up for my email list or they're going to keep listening to my podcast and eventually they're going to buy from me. And mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. like the the long game. It's not It's not just I'm going to get them to download a lead magnet and then next week they're going to buy from me. Occasionally mm-hmm. that happens, but it's a bit more of a longer game. And I think especially now when, you know, people are so, so we're so saturated with free eBooks and free content yes. and all of the stuff. I think it's taking a bit longer to build up trust. And I actually yeah, wonder if this is going to be, you know, talking, talking about the shifts we're going to see this year. I wonder if that's actually going to be one of the biggest shifts is, you know, people are, they, they're going to be a lot more cautious of who they're trusting. Yeah. A lot of people have been burned. They've invested in things that were crap, for want of a better yeah. word. And they're going to be a little bit more selective about who they are spending their money with, which is fair enough. Mm-hmm. If you're enjoying Imperfect Action, I have another podcast recommendation that I think you're going to love. It's called Mistakes That Made Me. It's hosted by Iman Ismail and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Mistakes That Made Me is the podcast that asks extraordinary business owners to share their biggest business mistake, so you know what not to do on your road to success. Now, as you know, I'm a big fan of learning from mistakes that I've made in the past, and I'm big about sharing those with you as well. So join Iman as she chats to some of the smartest minds in business about how to push through failure. On the show, she's interviewed some of the same awesome guests that you will have already met on this show such as Tarzan Kay and Kirsty Fanton. So go on over and listen to Mistakes That Made Me wherever you get your podcasts. I think at the end of the day, we just we don't want to feel like another number in a course. We yeah. don't want to feel like that we we were just treated as another order number. Like we want to feel, and this goes back to, I guess, another key trend that I feel like it's not even a trend I feel like it's just us going back to our roots um, and I mentioned this in an earlier episode and I also had a um, uh, another interviewee uh, Tiffany who is a community builder who was on the podcast but I feel like community and being able to actually harness and make people feel and see 
you, who you are, and actually connect with you and actually, because for so long, I think people see these online course creators as, oh my God, so hard to reach. Like, like they will never talk to you, like, or they will just evaporate and you only get a chance on the, like, oh my gosh, a hot seat, what? Like, so I think being able to actually create a platform or a forum for people to actually co-create, collab mm. with you, for you to, for them to also feel like, wow, you actually care, like, or you yeah. actually listened, or you actually took what I said and did something. What? And I think that sounds so, you know, like, well, yeah, like, but, but it's, it's just something that within, I feel like, definitely the last couple of years, it's now become an unexpected for people to actually have that connection and community with the actual founder or the actual course creator, which I think this year, I feel like the, the people who will, the online course creators who will pour in the time and dedicate their time to connecting with their community or create a community. And I'm not just talking about Facebook, but you really don't have to have it on a Facebook group. I know Steph, you've got one on, I think, te- Telegram. I love Telegram. Yeah, that's a free community. That's not a, yeah. that's not a course community. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But, but that, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Like, I think so often people do not embrace the element of creating a community for those who are simply just followers and interested people for them instead of just simply people who are paying. Yeah. And I think, and those people talk, they go to barbecues and they might meet someone over that weekend and be like, Oh my gosh, you need to check out Steph's X, Y, Z, or you need to check out Anita's X, Y, Z. And we forget to look after the people who are within our arena, who are avid listeners of the podcast or follow what you do. Yeah, 100%. What um, do you, f- oh, you go, you go, you yeah, go. Yeah, no, so I, like while you were talking about um, the courses and how people are going to want to or people want to feel like they are getting attention from that course creator and that course creator cares about them rather than being a number, I do worry that that comes with one downside and that is, you know, the reason why courses have been so popular is it does, it is a vehicle for somebody to achieve an outcome at a lower price point than a higher touch Mm -hmm. solution like coaching or group program, right? And I worry that if we start saying, well, every course now has to have this element where you're managing the community and you're answering all their questions, that obviously then comes with a higher price point because if you have a thousand people in a course, you can't do that. But at some point it has to be financially feasible for you to run it because at the end of the day, yes, you are running a business and you can't help anybody if your business isn't making money and you're too busy serving the people who are paying $50 for your course. So I do like that does come with that trade-off. And I think there will still be a place for, I, I think there still will be a place for courses and other kinds of digital products that give a specific and probably smaller transformation without Mm -hmm. the support element or as much of the support Mm -hmm. element. Um, You know, we're not talking big life-changing transformations. We're talking smaller things. Like I'll um, I'll use two of mine as as an example, right? Launch Magic is 12 weeks long and has two twice weekly uh, group Q&A calls because it is such a big transformation you are going on. Like launching is, there's a lot of mindset, Mark. You're mm-hmm. learning, for most of those people, they're learning sales and marketing for the very first time in their business. Uh, so that's why it's 12 weeks long with that much support. And that's why it's at a higher price point than my podcast launch plan, which mm-hmm. comes with no tailored support because it's 
a process driven activity. It's step by step. And all you really need to do is tick each step off. And yeah. yeah, if somebody wants more support, they can go and work with a coach on that, or they can go and find a more expensive course on that. Mm-hmm. But it has given people an alternative that like, there's a lot of hobbyist hobby. I don't know if that's even a word, hobby podcasters who've come through my podcast launch plan, because it is one of the cheaper ways that they can learn how to do it um, versus the other courses, which are like a thousand dollars. So there's, yeah, there's that kind of balance as well. Let's talk pricing. Seeing as well, this topic of pricing. I love talking. Yeah, I know you do. I know you do. I just lit up. Okay, so there's a few things that are obviously, you know, controversial topics around pricing when it comes to yeah. online courses, right? Um, what are your thoughts on, I guess, charging, um, I guess, more when it comes to payment plans? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> so I... Um, have like half of a finance degree. It's an accounting degree, but half of it was finance. And (laughs) in finance, they teach you about the net present value of money and they teach you about discount rates and all of the things. And Mm -hmm. essentially money that you receive in the future is worth less than money you receive now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially in a world where there is inflation, right? And if the inflation rate um, goes up, well, your money 12 months from now is worth less than what it's worth now. Money received from now is worth yeah. less than it's worth now. So yeah. that's the first thing you've got to cover off in your payment plans is money that you are receiving in that 12-month payment plan. The money in month 12, the $200 you're receiving in month 12 is worth less than $200 in today's terms to your business. Yes, so, Reason number one. Um, reason number two. Oh my goodness, we didn't even plan to talk about this, but I have these tucked away at the back of my head. She, she was ready to go. She was hoping I would ask this. <laughs> I have very strong opinions on this. No, me too. Um, yeah. Okay. So the second thing is great. If somebody doesn't have the cash for your course, there are other ways that they can get that money other than a payment plan. Okay. So they can go, they can pay for it on a credit card. Yes, they've got a higher interest rate from the bank than potentially from your payment plan. But here's the catch, right? The bank the, the bank can charge the interest rates that they charge because they also have they know your credit score. Mm-hmm. They have they if you don't pay your credit card debt, the bank can come and sell some of your assets. Um, I actually don't yeah. know if they can do that with credit card debt. Um, but they can put a big red mark on your credit score. Yes. Somebody defaults on your payment plan as an online business owner, it's really hard to take any kind of action to force them to pay it back. But a bank has a lot more resources for debt collection than you as a business owner do. So I think, you know, if a credit card interest rate is 20%, well, I mean, I think charging a 10 or 15% premium for a payment plan on your course, I don't think that is unreasonable. Um, Then the other, what was the other one? Um, Oh, admin fees. Oh, my Admin time. Admin cost, your time to collect failed payments. Like that is a huge expense. Um, I mean, I oh, this is actually something that I've been meaning to do for a while is look at how much time we've put into collecting failed payments and make sure that our payment plan surcharge actually covers that. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think, yeah, I don't think people realize like how much time, like my VA's time. Yes. Um, there's been times when it's been my time. There's been internal team time where we're like liaising. What do we do in this situation? What do we say to them? That all adds up. Um, so those are three. I think there was a fourth one, um, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was now. Um, what's your opinion? I am with you. Might, I am. Remind me. <laughs> no, I am so, 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 so with you. I mean, I see... 
I see a lot of ethical marketers talk about mm-hmm. how it is not you know, ethical to charge this, like charge more because of this. But I also, to your point, the team and I were looking at the amount of time and hours spent, but also people then end up evaporating and and actually just, it's, it doesn't happen as often. Don't get me wrong, but it does happen where it Mm -hmm. just, they just evaporate. Like people will just end up evaporating. Um, and then the mixture of like we've got SOPs, we've got templates, we've got procedures and all of that. But I kid you not, like we've had people literally from two years who are still like on that, like then you then it comes to the stage of almost, well, the amount of time that has been lost in literally that, like, and I hear you, like I'm I'm so with you on all of like being able to charge that. I think why is it that we yeah, pay credit card, like paying on a credit card, it's okay for them as big banks to charge, but we're small businesses, we're online businesses who are, it's still the same principle. Imagine, imagine right. saying to the bank, imagine buying a million dollar house yeah. and saying to the bank, I'm going to pay this off over 10 years. I'm going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars a year for 10 years for my million dollar house. <laughs> yes. No, that's not how mortgages work. <laughs> we are getting face palmed with that interest right now. The banking system would go broke. And that's 100%. because banks are businesses. We are businesses as yes. well. And yes. yes, I get like I get that you want to help people who maybe can't afford to invest in your course. And I get that, you know, sometimes people do sign up for payment plans when it's not really within their financial means. But at some point, we also have to know, like, our audience are grown-ups. Let them make decisions for themselves and give them that opportunity because somebody who does sign up for that 12-month payment plan may actually see a huge result from that Mm. and they wouldn't have been able to achieve that otherwise. And, yeah, they've paid a little bit more for it, but I think it's been worth it for them. Yeah, 100%. What about pricing in terms of, I guess, pricing for online products and online Mm. digital products, which, you know, you talked about it briefly before, which was the fact that you feel like people are going to start paying more for, they're going to invest in more to be able to get something more meaty. I guess for someone who is listening in and they're just like, wow, like there's so many different ways I can charge. There's people who charge like 10K for a course to people who charge 1K for a course to how, where do you begin when it comes to how do you kind of look at pricing? for your actual products? Ooh, I So I always start by the first time I launch something new, I almost always, actually, no, I always started at a lower price point than what I know it's going to end up at. Mm. And mm. that's that's a way for me to reward the people who have been on my email list, who've been following me, who are like, they're going to just buy anything that I put out. So I always start at a lower price point. And then I might have, you know, in that first launch, I might have a price increase a couple of days in. So the people who were early birds, who were super serious, who are going to take action, I've rewarded them. And then I might bump the price up a bit more. And then maybe the next time I run it, I know what kind of results people have got. I know I've made tweaks. I've taken feedback on board. I know that it's worth more. And it's also like a bit of a confidence boost when you're like, oh, I can back myself because I know this is worth more than what I paid for it. Yeah. Then I start to put the price up. Um, but something that I think's really shifted in my mindset in the last year or so is actually I would rather work with fewer people at a higher price point. 
Mm. You know, I um, so launch magic. I get a lot of people signing up for it, and I always thought you know two thousand dollars is enough for people to have skin in the game. But what happens is around week three or week four when it gets quite hard. Like like I said, it's it's not a small transformation. Like it's a huge shift. They are building assets in their business. Like a lot of them have never created a lead magnet before. They've never created a webinar. They've never created a sales page. So they're suddenly now having to do the work. And that's when a lot of people drop off. And especially if you mm-hmm. don't feel like you've got that much skin in the game, where you're like, oh, it was just $2,000. So what, but then what happens is towards the end, the people who like for whom $2,000 was a huge investment, they are the ones who are still showing up to the week 12 calls. They are still showing up to every live call. They are asking the good questions. They are doing the work. They are getting to that finish line on schedule. So I'm actually, I'm putting the price up for it next round because I know if somebody does it, it's, if they complete it, it's absolutely business changing. And I would rather somebody doesn't sign up than signs up with the intention of I'll do it one day or they give up when it gets a little bit hard. I want people who are, you know, and this is, I guess this comes back to like pricing for the ideal client that you're trying to attract. Yes. I really want to attract people who are serious about taking action, who are serious about investing in their business rather than people who are serious about collecting courses. A hundred percent. I think that is like the biggest, when, when anyone kind of comes and be like, I don't know what to price. Like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I should price it based on that price for the client you want to attract. Oh, price for the audience you want. Like, it is such a subjective question to ask. Like, you know, if you were to ask how much should I price a course, I'd be like 10K or 15K or <laughs> could be anything, right? But you've got a price for that client that you want to attract. I am curious though, you mentioned somewhere in there, um, you know, uh, the students seem to kind of drop off or wobble a little bit towards Mm. the middle, which I resonate a bit with. I find the same with our course. I wouldn't say they like, usually it is like, oh, like, uh, things have come up, but also for us as well, more for your words, the middle of the program is where we get into a bit of the nitty gritty of like, you know, getting to the heart of the writing of it the beginning is like the cool stuff like the psychology the like all of the cool things and then the middle is like okay cool now we're gonna like start putting things together and we start to see people wobble do you think though that is more of a price thing or do you think though that is more of a we and this is I don't know the answer to this this is just a thought starter or should we be looking at the re-engagement of how to actually get and create maybe like challenges to actually get people to finish it. Like, do you think it's more about pricing it or based on actually exploring how we can get people to complete certain things and incentivize based on that? So we've been doing a lot of that. Um, The first couple of times we ran Launch Magic, we had a 90-day challenge. Yeah. um, Which was great until somebody – so everybody tallied up their points in like a spreadsheet and it like auto-populated the leaderboard. But then somebody went and like sabotaged other people's no the leaderboard and we couldn't see who did it. So that was the, I know, and that was really bad because it was oh a, goodness. we had a cash prize, which 
in hindsight, like that was a stupid idea because obviously somebody's going to want to win the cash prize badly enough that they sabotage everybody else. So then we changed it to little, yeah, we changed it to like little mini challenges. So, you know, I think it's like week four, it's like, you know, share your lead magnet here and we'll pick one at random. Um, but you have to have actually finished the lead magnet and share it. Mm. At one point, it's like share your webinar slides and one will get picked at random for a webinar review. Like, Ooh. so there's like a nice mix of like, um, they get my attention on their stuff and also like vouch, Amazon vouchers, books, like other prizes. Mm-hmm. Those do work. Absolutely. Um, but I still think that there are some people who don't like, I don't want to say they don't like working, but for them, it feels uncomfortable to be doing the kind of work that they need to be doing in a course because generally what a course is behavior change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like at its fundamental level, most courses that we are doing are some kind of behavior change and they require us to do something differently to what we have always done. So in my case, and probably in your case, a lot of our students are people who are business owners and they are very used to being in mm-hmm. the business. They're used yeah. to delivering client client work and the bookkeeping and doing all of the stuff that they have to do and posting to Instagram. And then suddenly when you're like, hey, switch onto your critical thinking brain and write something or switch on your critical thinking brain and think about how you're going to structure mm-hmm. your lead magnet in a way that nurtures people closer to buying from you when you open doors in your launch. Suddenly they're like, oh, that's too hard. I'm just going to keep doing the stuff that's really comfortable and that I'm used to doing. I'm scared that I'm going to get it wrong. So I'm going to maybe just put that on the shelf and I'll come back to it later when I have a good idea for it or when I feel ready. But right now I'm just going to take on this other client project or I'm going to go and reconcile my bank account because it's easy. <laughs> and that's, you know, like you think about any kind of behavior change, like it's what's it now? It's 18th of January while we're recording this. I don't know about you, but like one of my New Year's resolutions was to get into a really good Uh, morning routine this year because I have this bad habit in summer. I wake up so early. I take my dog for his little quick prerequisite morning walk. And then all I want to do is have a coffee and sit at my desk and start working. And Mm. then by lunchtime, I'm exhausted. So this year, my resolution was I'm going to spend, I'm going to take dog for a walk. I'm going to do like a little meditation in the morning. I'm going to do three minutes of Pilates, just three minutes. And then I'm allowed to sit at my desk and work. Now, that was great for last week. This Monday rolled around and it fell out of the window because, you know, when things like this week was busy and as soon as I'm stressed, I sort of fall back into my default behavior patterns because that is just what I know. And it takes a lot to resonate with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's like, um, you know, like courses, we do have that behavior change element Um, which I don't, yeah, obviously I don't know if pricing can fix that, but I also, I mean, this is anecdotal N equals one evidence, but when I, you know, when I invested over $20,000 in working with a coach, I Mm. never skipped a call. I never Mm. skipped homework. I did the things that she told me Mm. versus the times when maybe I've invested in a lower ticket course where it's like, Oh yeah, whatever. Sunk cost. That's, you know, $2,000 that I've invested in something else and it's not skin in the game. Mm, That's interesting though. That's interesting because, you know, your perception too, for you, you also mentioned, you know, investing in 20,000 for a coach was like, yep, showing up. But for $2,000 for a course for you, but this is also now. So rewind, rewind to 2019 when 
my bank balance wasn't very healthy and I signed up for a course on the payment plan because I could not afford the full pay. And like, I literally could not afford the full pay. I was at the, I was at one of those points where I was like, I'm this close to closing my business down. And this is like my last ditch attempt. I literally invested like the last money that I had in the first installment of this course payment plan. And that because it cost me so much, I got up at 4am twice a week to go to every single call. I like religiously studied all of the content in there. I took yes. action on all of the stuff and I saw the results. Yeah, And that was, you know, that was like one of the catalysts in my business. So mm-hmm. I think it's like, it doesn't have to be $20,000 for people to take action, but it does need to be at a price point. I think that is a little bit of like a serious, this feels a, a serious investment. I'm stepping up to the game. This is like me leveling up, not just me adding something to my collection. Yes, I hear you. Also a fellow, yeah, I will buy that course and I will touch it when I have the time, which then it sits in my e-graveyard. Um, <laughs> now, okay, so let's circle back. Let's circle back and kind of bring this home. We've talked about, you know, some of the things that we've talked passionately about, the element of pricing, where we feel like that's going. We've talked about, I guess, different elements related to where we see even in terms of marketing, what you're going to be doing as well. Uh, What is one thing to kind of bring it home? What is one thing you're going to let go of, I guess, this year in terms of launching online courses? What is one thing you're going to let go of this year? Can I I give you a bit more of a broader one, like Um, business-wise? And it obviously does like such a huge part of my business is launching. Like that is uh, like the biggest revenue generator by far. So it does relate to that. But I um I had this little epiphany, if you want to call it that, on Monday. Um, I actually, I think you'll remember, like I messaged you in our group chat with Claire and I was like, <gasps> like I'm going, th- like there's so much mindset stuff coming oh, up for me at yes. the moment. And I had this real epiphany because I had left something very major in my business to the very last minute and I was feeling stressed about it. And I had this thought of this next level business owner this next level that I'm trying to get to, the person who runs that business does not do their webinar slides the day before the webinar, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, I always tell my students, don't leave it to the last minute because it's stressful. And like, then I'm going and I'm experiencing that stress and it is horrible. And that's why my morning routine fell out the window. Uh, But so that was something I'm going to, that is something I really know I need to change is that last minute behavior. I've always had these stories. I'm a procrastinator. I do things better at the last minute. Yeah, great. But I also end up a hot mess and I don't know if I produce things to my best quality. And I know that to have the kinds of launches I want, to produce the kind of content that I want, to grow my business the way that I want, that is something I need to let go of and couple that with the belief that nobody else can do it as well as me because, oh my God, they can. Absolutely, they can. Mm -hmm. I'm not that great. (laughs) That I so appreciate you for being so honest and transparent in sharing that. Like I think, you know, being able to share what you just did, even if you feel like it, you know, it was just this one thing that I, you know, want to let go of. I think it's pretty big. Like I think to actually sit here and actually share with the listeners to say that, you know what, I had all these like mindset wobbles before what I'm about to do and I was questioning and I was literally like wobbling creating this webinar slide the day before procrastination. Like these are all things that I think people 
may think that, yeah, like they've got that all sorted.com. Yeah. Like when I feel sometimes I would literally look at slides for like three hours and I'm still on three slides and I'm like, yeah. wow, I'm producing zilch. That is not great. Like terrible. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> and, and like this is what we, and we are like the people who do this I mean, like I teach this for a living. You teach like yeah. some kind of variation of yeah. this for a living and we're still struggling with it. And I actually, I posted on Instagram um, yesterday morning. So the morning of my webinar and I said, like, you know, I've been awake since 1am because I'm so nervous because this is brand new content I've never taught before. And actually one of my launch magic students messaged me and she's like, uh, I forget what she said exactly, but it was some variation of, you know, like when I was teaching my webinar, I was thinking, I wish I could feel as confident as Steph. Like, I wish I didn't feel wow. nervous, you know, like Steph, like, I wish I didn't feel nervous. And it's, it's normal. Cause like we care about delivering value and we're not, we're not people who are just there, like getting people onto a webinar to sell to them. We're there because we know yeah. we can also help the people who don't buy from us. And if they want to buy from us, awesome. But if they don't, that's cool. They help, they're getting helped in some way too. Oh my gosh. I feel like I could like talk about just purely based on like mindset stuff. For oh my God. Maybe like we need hour. to do a part two. Maybe we need to do a part because <laughs> I feel like this is like a separate episode in itself where we talk about all of the different like, gosh, like wobbles over the last couple of years in terms of literally being pushed down to the ground and actually being able to pick yourself back up. So maybe we'll Maybe, yeah. Well, well, how about we do part we two on my podcast? Ooh, you know how I reached out to you and I was like, well, let's do another potty chat. You need to come Aye. on my podcast. We'll do podcast part two over there. I like it. I like it. All right, fam. Well, stay tuned for part number two Ooh. over on Steph's podcast. Now, just in case anyone is like, oh, okay, hang on, wait, which podcast and where? <laughs> where do they find you? What podcast? So my podcast is called Imperfect Action because I honestly believe that is like the secret sauce to business success. So I re- I love it so much that I rebranded my podcast to Imperfect Action. You can find me in all of the podcast apps um, and you can connect with me on Instagram. I'm over there at stephtaylor.co. That's the easiest place to slide into my DMs and say hi. Yay! Thank you so much for jumping on. So good. All righty. Thanks, fam. All right. That is it for today's episode. If you haven't already hit subscribe, make sure you hit the plus button in Apple Podcasts or the follow button in Spotify and you'll get each new episode straight to your podcast app every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time. Mm-hmm.